Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we are going to be uh, looking at the victory uh, that Jesus accomplished on, on the cross uh, today. And before we get started, I just want to remind us, you know, it is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday was, was the day uh, when Jesus Christ rode up into Jerusalem. Uh, he was put on a donkey, uh, the symbol of a king, in, in fulfillment of a, a prophecy uh, in the Old Testament. And the people came before uh, Jesus, laying out palm branches and, and throwing their cloaks on the ground, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were expecting a king triumphant to enter the city. And many of them did not understand what, what laid ahead for Jesus. They thought he was going up into the city to, to claim his throne. And many of them thought that, that in claiming his throne, he would perhaps lead a rebellion. Perhaps finally uh, kick out the Romans. Perhaps do some other things to set things right in the world around them. And they were celebrating like a victory was at hand. A victory was at hand, but not the victory that they expected. You see, Jesus Christ was going up into Jerusalem so that he could be crucified on the cross. And that is the victory in the accomplishment of our salvation. It's a, a greater victory than the people expected in that moment. Expecting a king who would only triumph over uh, the Roman Empire. Only uh, establish an earthly kingdom. Perhaps many of them, or some of them, expected that if they were there congratulating the coming king, perhaps they expected that they would get a crown in his kingdom. Or they would get uh, a certain area of the land that they might uh, reign over. We don't know how many in that crowd were still there a week later. But perhaps some of the ones who were chanting, Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, were also in the crowd on Friday, uh, uh, yeah, chanting, Crucify him, crucify him. But that would be the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ needed to accomplish our salvation. And so we're going to talk this morning not primarily about the act of his entry, but the act of victory that he actually accomplishes in the cross. And with that in mind, uh, let's read Hebrews uh, chapter 10. And we're just going to read verses 11 through 14. For every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should make a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Let's start this morning with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask, we simply ask that your Holy Spirit would, would use the Word of God today to speak to our hearts. We need your Spirit to be present, and we believe that your Spirit is present through the Word of God. 
And that the word of God changes hearts and lives. And so now, Lord, we just want to pray together that you would open our hearts today uh, to hear what you would have us hear. In your name we pray. Amen. When I was a kid, one of my favorite insults from Scripture, yes, you heard that right, insults from Scripture, uh, was in 1 Kings, where the king of Ahab gets a threat from the king of Syria. And the king of Ahab is told, or king Ahab of Israel is told that he should send his wives, his children, his gold, his silver to the king of Syria. And the king consults with his leaders and then he gives this uh, message back to the messengers who are to take it to the king of Assyria. And the king says, one who puts his armor on should not boast like one who takes it off. Meaning, come at me. If you want to take this fight, let's go. Don't boast like you've already won it, like you're taking your armor off while you're still putting it on. It's a way of saying you haven't won this fight yet. Uh, now, King Ahab does actually lose the fight, but I, I, just, I always wanted to be in a situation where I could say that to someone, you know? Don't boast. One who, one who puts his armor on shouldn't boast like one who takes it. I just thought it was so, so witty, so great. Don't celebrate a victory before it actually happens. However, we can celebrate a victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of God, when they were celebrating for Palm Sunday, they were celebrating a coming victory. And as I mentioned already, I don't know how many understood it. I think many of them did not. There may have been a few there who understood it. I'm sure there were some there who later on came to understand why Jesus had to go into Jerusalem, why he had to die on the cross. And then I'm sure that celebration that they had of his, him going into the city took on a whole new meaning. We don't celebrate the Lord going into the city anymore. But we do celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Even as we remember in the Easter season and we celebrate on, on Palm Sunday, we are remembering those acts that Jesus did uh, 2,000 years ago as to why he had to go into the city. And even as we celebrate this coming Good Friday, we are celebrating an act that has accomplished what we needed. That one act, in one point in time, we are celebrating for all the rest of time. And so when we go through the yearly activities of, of Palm Sunday, of Good Friday, of, of Easter, we are not saying that these things are happening all over again. We're saying that in that one moment, that one time, all that you and I needed for all of time was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ takes away sin. The cross of Christ takes away sin. Jesus walked up into that city knowing his death was coming. He was hung on that cross. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose again from the dead. And then there was an even greater triumphal entry as he goes up into heaven itself, into the very 
presence of God, having achieved our sacrifices, He comes before God and offers that sacrifice and says, in effect, it is finished. And God the Father says to His Son, sit at My right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. In other words, I will accomplish all the victory because of what you have done on that cross. And so Jesus sits down. It is done. He has accomplished all that we need in the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ takes away sin. So first this morning, as you think about the cross of Christ, we have assurance. Real assurance. Something that you can take to the bank that our sins are removed. They're taken away. The guilt that we had before God no longer hangs over us. And so in turn, the the guilty feelings do not need to plague us if we have taken our sins and confessed them to the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ has removed the guilt of sin. So we have in this passage some references to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there was a regular ongoing sacrifices uh, that never took away sin. Uh, I don't even remember all of the sacrifices that there are in the Old Testament. And I, and I went to seminary. I mean, there, there are just lots of different sacrifices. And, and I'm, I'm thankful that I'm a, a preacher in New Testament times and not a priest uh, in Old Testament times because there's a lot more to do and remember, right? All of these sacrifices regularly going on, uh, on on a regular basis in the temple. Look at verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service re- offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. So we're talking here about in the Old Testament, either in the tabernacle which God had made, or later it becomes a permanent structure in the temple the priests would be in there and they would be standing all day doing various things. Uh, You had inside uh, the temple grounds. You had an altar. You also had a, a, a structure with a room called the holy place where the priests would go in every day and light candles and do various uh, things. There was, I believe, a water basin in there and um, they would have some food that would uh, be setting in there to honor God, unleavened bread. And then inside of that room, there was another room called the Holy of Holies, where once a year the, the high priest would go in. He would have made a sacrifice for his sin and for the sins of the people. And he would take that in there and put that blood on the Ark of the Covenant and it would be a reminder to them of their sin that they had before God that God had to forgive. But they had to do this regularly. They had to do it ongoing. And it was a constant reminder to them that these sacrifices did not forgive sin. You see, the purpose of doing these things for all of the years that they did them was to remind them that Jesus was coming. It was to show them what they needed. Forgiveness of sins. That they had real sins. But it was also to show them that what they needed, a perfect sacrifice for sin, had not yet come. And so you can imagine a measure of, of frustration 
when I was a little kid, sometimes I didn't always want to go to church. Maybe your kids were like that, right? Oh, do I have to? Could you imagine being in the Old Testament? Do we have to go do sacrifices again? Do we have to take that goat up to the, the temple? I like that goat. Can't we just eat him? Do we have to give it to God? Ongoing and regular. And you can almost imagine the parents saying, yes, because we're waiting for the coming Messiah. Yes, because we're waiting for the true forgiveness of sins. Once a year, they had the Day of Atonement, which I already mentioned. But these things never took away sin. So Hebrews chapter 10, we didn't read these verses, but 3 and 4. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. There was a reminder that they were still sinners. There was a reminder that they still needed the forgiveness of sins. And in verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. In other words, the priest never got to sit down. These, these animals that were sacrificed were only as symbols. In fact, when they celebrated the Day of Atonement, they actually took two animals. And one animal, they laid, the priest would lay his hands on and they would let it go. They would let it run free. And that was a reminder to them that their sin had to be taken away, outside of the camp, away from where they were. Jesus Christ does all of those things by being the sacrifice for us. So Jesus offered a one-time sacrifice for sins and completed what we need. So look at the beginning of verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice for sin, then it says, He sat down at the right hand of God. Just look at that first part. Jesus Christ makes one sacrifice for sins. And then He's done. That's it. It is a perfect sacrifice because Jesus is the Son of God and in His humanity coming to earth, He is fit to perfectly take our place, to stand in a position that you and I each deserve. And He does this at one point in time with one single sacrifice. Jesus Christ is not re-crucified year after year. When we celebrate communion, we are celebrating what Jesus did one time all those years ago. We are not re-crucifying Him. We are not re-enacting what He's done. We are remembering what He has done, that it was a perfect sacrifice once for all times. You see, the Old Testament sacrifice never purified. It never actually perfected people. It never accomplished what we really need. It was only like a shadow pointing to, to the reality, pointing that, that something was coming, that there was real substance that we needed, a real sacrifice. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law uh, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? Jesus Christ 
is that one perfect sacrifice that has given us what we need if we place our faith and trust in Him. And it assures us, it guarantees us that we can actually draw near to God and approach Him. You'll remember perhaps in the Old Testament how the people of God had to stay separated from God. When Moses goes up onto the mountain at Mount Sinai, the people of God have to stay at a distance. When the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies to offer this sacrifice, the people have to stay outside. When Uriah is moving the ark in the Old Testament, they put it on a cart. They weren't supposed to move it on the cart. They were supposed to carry it with poles. And he reaches out to touch it because the cart is bouncing around and the ark is about to fall off and he touches it. And he touches that symbol of the holiness of God. And he is struck down because of his sins. Because he can't draw near to God. Because he can't touch God. But in Jesus Christ, in that one sacrifice for sins, we are now fitted, if we trust in Christ, to draw near to God, to to enter into His presence, particularly when we die, of course, but even now in our prayer lives, we approach Him with a, a deeper intimacy and an assurance that He hears our prayers. We have both the assurance of forgiveness and the assurance that we need Jesus. Over and over again in the Old Testament, It lays out for us in these signs and symbols the need. When you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, it shows you that you need this sacrifice. I've already mentioned this one of our other weeks, but Jesus wouldn't have laid down his life for us if it wasn't something that we actually needed. We tend sometimes to to look at these sacrifices in the modern world and we say, that's so barbaric. That's so grotesque. Who would do such things? But flip it around. Ask the question a different way. Why would God establish this pattern? Why would He do these things? Because the people of God needed a regular reminder God didn't just show up one day and say, by the way, you guys are sinners, I'm going to save you. He worked over a long period of time, over 2,000 years with the people of God, regularly showing them just how bad all of our sins are. Regularly showing them just how great and mighty He was, how loving He was, how caring He was, so that in that final moment, He could send His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the perfect sacrifice for sins. And we can look at that and say, I get it. I see how great my need is. And I see how perfect the Son of God is to fill that need. That I need forgiveness. That I need the Lord. That I need His presence in my life. You and I have a great need of Jesus. Without Jesus Christ, our life is incomplete. But more than that, without Jesus Christ, we can't be a friend of God. We can't draw near to God. We can't come into His presence and belong to Him. But Jesus Christ 
has accomplished that victory. You do not have the perfection that you need to stand before God. There's on two levels. One, we just don't have the moral ability to come into God's presence. We are sinners. We have wandered away from Him. We have abandoned Him. On another level, we don't have the capacity or the ability to approach God. God is so far above us. We can't just reach up and ascend into heaven and say, I'm going to go into God's presence. Even Moses, going up onto Mount Sinai, what did God say to him? You can't see my face because no one can see my face and live. You're not fit, Moses, to come before me, to see me and walk with me face to face. But Jesus Christ, having laid down His life for us and rose again from the dead and going back up into heaven as as what Hebrews calls a forerunner, He makes us fit. In Him, we can be perfected so that we can stand before the presence of God. He gives us what we need. Jesus Christ's self-sacrifice and self-offering gives me then assurance that what I need, I can find in Him. And what I need, I can find in Him. That He was a perfect sacrifice and His work is finished. There are generally two types of people uh, in the world today, and I'm, I'm painting with a very broad brushstroke. There are people who hear about their sins and they don't care whatever, pastor, I'm not really that bad. Oh, it's not as bad as you say. I'm a decent person. They do things and it doesn't bother them. I'm living the fulfilling life. I'm finding meaning elsewhere. The cross of Christ shows you that you are lacking something. Because God would not have done this if you could be complete without this sacrifice. Second, there are the people that are plagued by guilt. Some people are so plagued that it, that it paralyzes them. That it weighs on them emotionally. Sometimes it gets so bad that it weighs upon us physically. The cross of Christ assures us that we can be forgiven of those sins. That our consciences can actually have a guarantee that they're clear. And sometimes people need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ because they have never received Him. And that is why they're plagued with guilt. If you do that, you have assurance that your sins are forgiven. Sometimes, even as Christians, the devil plants those, those seeds of doubt. Are you sure you're really forgiven? You messed up again. Look at where your life is going. God, God's not going to care about you anymore. Look at how you've wandered again. And there are seeds of doubt. And, and Satan wants them to grow into to giant trees and, and dig into your heart like roots can uproot the ground and destroy a foundation. And God wants you to look at the cross and say, know that your sins are forgiven because Jesus Christ's one sacrifice accomplished it. How do we know that his sacrifice is complete. How can we have this confidence? Well, second this morning, we have confidence that Christ's work is finished. First, because Christ sits down. 
Look at the end of verse 12. Or, or look at verse 12, and, and, but notice the end. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. In the Old Testament, priests did not sit down. They were always busy. They always had sacrifices. They always had to get up the next day and do something else. I don't know if it's like this in your house, but in, in some houses, maybe in mine, I, I won't cop to this, but in some houses, uh, moms are always going, Right? The mom always has something to do. She can never sit down. There's always dishes that need to be put away, laundry that needs to be folded. And, and, and even when you're like, take a break to just relax a little bit. We'll get to it tomorrow. The mom's like, no, I got to do it. I got to go finish this. The next thing, on to the next thing. Whereas the dad can come home, and I'll admit, sometimes this gets me in trouble. Uh, the dad can come home and he just can, okay, I'm done with my work day. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to turn on the TV a little bit. I'm going to watch the news. And you just, you know, everything else that you really know you should be doing, you just push it out of your mind. It's, I'm, I'm done. It's not quite like that with Jesus. But the Old Testament priests always had stuff to do. There was always the next sacrifice. Jesus Christ can go up into heaven and sit down at the right hand of his Father because he doesn't have to offer any more sacrifices. His sacrifice is so perfect, so wonderful, so complete that Jesus Christ only had to die one time. It took all of the punishment of our sins right there in that moment. Every sin, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, every sin, either past, present, or future, is forgiven because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And we can't be flippant about that. God doesn't want us to just go out and do a whole bunch of sins saying, ah, don't worry, it's covered. But it does give you confidence. Where can you go when you struggle with sin to find the relief that you need? How can you know that what Jesus has done is sufficient to pay for everything you've ever done wrong? Jesus sat down. He's done. Yes, I know He's reigning. He's ruling. He's showing His care for us. Hebrews talks about Him being a a loving and merciful high priest ministering to us in our needs. But in terms of actually doing sacrifices, Jesus is done. Some of us go through our lives and we like to be very religious people. And we like to go through all the motions And some people this Easter season will go to church because that's what they've been told to do. Or that's how they've been told they need to appropriate the gift of God. Sometimes people are told in in various uh, churches that if you don't do certain things, if you don't appropriate it, if you don't come to communion, if you don't uh, say your confessions, you won't receive the grace of God. It's not finished until you do some things. The grace of God is accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. And all that we need to do is put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And He is changing us. And He is making us new. And my assurance and my confidence rest not on what I can do for Him, but what He has done for me. 
And so Christ waits until the working out of the victory is finished. Look at verse 13. He is, quote, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. This is a quote from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Meaning a victory has been won. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father and God says to Jesus, just sit there and I will bring everything else into line. All of the victory will be worked out. It's done. You did the work. I'll put it all in line under your feet. The cross of Christ is sort of like the battle of D-Day at World War II. Maybe some of you are familiar with that battle. That was where we landed on the shores of France. That was a turning point in the war. That, in a very real sense, assured that we would get to Germany. Now, because this is a human event, tides of work and change, and, and we didn't know for sure at the time. But that is the moment, looking back, where the battle was won. And that victory guaranteed that everything else would fall into line in the defeat of Hitler. Jesus Christ's cross is that kind of a battle. Everything else that God is doing in the world is a mopping up based on the victory of Jesus Christ at the cross. He is bringing sinners to salvation. He is extending His Gospel into the world. He will also put His enemies, people that are rebelling, Satan that stands against God, and even death itself in the end. He will put those things under the feet of Jesus to be trampled and crushed. But Jesus Christ wins because of the cross of Christ. So, for you and I, Jesus sitting down gives us great confidence that the victory has been won. All that we need to cleanse us and make us fit for heaven, it was done right there. Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that will, the will that, that Jesus obeyed the Father, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When did Jesus, what did Jesus do to cleanse you? He offered Himself one time for all time. He pays the penalty for your sins one time for all of time. He takes our place in death for our sins one time for all of time. Hebrews 7.27 He has no need like those other high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered himself. He entered into a holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats or calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Consider this then. Consider first how great Christ is. How great his work is. I think it's fair to say that Jesus is a hard worker. Don't you think if he had something yet to do for us, 
He wouldn't be napping on the job. He wouldn't sit down until he was absolutely certain that it was finished. If there was just a a smidgen of doubt that he had, had more yet to do, don't you think he would make sure he was accomplishing that to perfection? The fact that he sits down is of great confidence to you. You are secure in Jesus Christ if you trust in Him. Second, when I, when I receive this work, I let go of myself, right? I, I, I set aside all of my striving and trying to get to God of my own power and I, I simply trust in Him. And I receive a perfect salvation. I can't add to the work of God based on what I do. I can't appropriate it or receive it based upon how I live my life. I cannot earn it. I can't even as a Christian pay God back for all that He's done for me. His work is perfect. Consider then too, how often in life do we worry and fret when the reality is that Christ's work is done. Many people in this life are striving for perfection. They're striving to achieve something. They're striving to have accomplishments, whether it's accomplishments to offer before man or accomplishments to offer before God. But Jesus Christ has so completed the accomplishment of redemption that He gives you and I everything that you need and all that you need. Are you striving in your life in a way that is wandering away from God, trying to fill it with all kinds of meaning when what you need is Jesus Christ? Finally, this morning, and thirdly, we can draw close to God only through the one act that God has done for us, or only through the one act done for us. Jesus, the work of Jesus is what perfects us. Look at verse 14. For a single offering, for by a single offering, He has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. I, I love the grammar here, and if you're not a grammar nerd, I apologize. But notice what it says. He has perfected for all time. Even in the English, it's, it's past tense. He has done this for those who are being sanctified. Being sanctified means to be made holy. God is working in our lives if we trust in Jesus Christ. And He is transforming us. And sometimes that means He has things He's got to work us through. Things that, that He needs uh, to change in our lives so that we look more like Jesus. Maybe you had a temper when you got saved and He's working through that with you. Maybe you had a problem cursing or lying or with uh, sexual immorality or drunkenness when you got saved. The process of sanctification is when God works with you over time and He, and he cleans you up. He takes you from your, your muck and mire of your sin, which is polluting your life and causing it to fall apart, and he, and he polishes you. 
And if you've ever seen someone polish something or sand something, first you start with a really rough sandpaper. You scratch really hard. But then as, as the roughness comes off, maybe the burrs get, get rubbed down. Then you take a, a finer grade, and it's a smoother process. And then maybe at the end you, you take a cloth, and if it's metal, you begin to shine it, or you put some polish on it, and you've got you to gotta rub it in. And then it shines, and it glows. That is the goal that God has for you. That is perfection. And He has perfected you based on the work of Jesus Christ, but He is working that out in your life now. And maybe some of us are at that part where He's rubbing us with some hard sandpaper. We're really learning some lessons. Maybe some of us have progressed a little further and we're at a a smoother stage. But wherever we are, we are to continue to draw near to God and to rely on Him. His work has perfected us one time for all time as He works that out in our lives. That is the victory. And that is why we are assured that we can draw near to God. Turn with me in your Bibles over, if you're still in chapter 10, maybe it's just on the next page, But look with me at verse 19. And I'm just going to read a few of these verses, but I want to pay particular attention to verse 22. But this is where Hebrews goes, and this is the confidence that you and I can have. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great Uh, priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some in the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to this confession. Let's make sure that, that in this victory that has been won for us, we encourage each other. That we go out from here and we show love towards each other. That we invite other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's work is so finished for you. Have you drawn near to God? Have you received the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ? Do you have a confidence that relies not in yourself, but where you look at the cross and you say, He has done it all. All to Him I owe. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that You would speak to us this morning. That our hearts would be moved to love You. To be grateful for the cross to marvel in what you have done. Lord, we need you to build us up in the faith. We are a weak and weary people. We have our ups and our downs in life and in our walk of faith. 
And yet you, Lord Jesus, are unchanging. You have sat down on high in the perfection of the right hand of your Father's throne. And we have this assurance that that your work has been completed and that you are a merciful and faithful high priest that that as we cry out to you, you are going to have mercy and compassion and, and do what a priest does, and that is minister to us. We ask, Lord, that you would minister to us as your body. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.